Hi, welcome back to another episode of Real World Serverless, a podcast where I speak with real world practitioners and get their stories from the trenches. Today, I'm joined by two other serverless heroes, Alexander and Slobodan. Hi, welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Nice to have you here. So I think it's all fair to say that uh, we are all disciples of uh, Simon Wadley and we're all big fans of his mapping and the FinDev. But before we get into that, can you just uh, tell the listeners about yourself and what you've been building with Serverless? Uh, I'll start. I'm Slobodan. Um, I'm working uh, with Serverless for the past two years. Uh, and I also wrote a book with Alexander about uh, Serverless applications with Node.js. Uh, I'm building... Uh, an application called Vacation Tracker. It's a leave tracking application that integrates with your chat system, uh, like uh, such as Slack and now Microsoft Teams. And it's fully serverless and it's built on AWS. Uh, it's amazing how uh, serverless now can uh, help you to outsource many other uh, many things that we did uh, manually in the past to AWS and some other service providers. Uh, so you have much more time to focus on some other things, more essential parts of your application. Of course, uh, that doesn't mean that uh, your team will move faster immediately. Uh, first, there are, there's a big learning curve for serverless because you need to learn how to build your application in a serverless way to be able to like uh, uh, use all the benefits of serverless. But also, uh, it depends where you focus uh, later because you can focus on the wrong things and just spend that time in uh, doing some things that you shouldn't do. And that's where... Uh, Worldly maps fits in and help us out uh, to uh, find where we should focus and uh, where we should spend our uh, time instead of like managing our servers and building some things that already exist and things like that. Yeah, and hi, my name is Alexander Simovic. I'm also a serverless hero like Slobodan and Jan. Um, I'm a senior software engineer at Science Exchange. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm also, as Slobodan mentioned, we wrote a book about uh, serverless applications with, with Node.js published by Manning. Um, yeah, so yeah, all I, I guess like I can maybe speak for all three of us, like we've been using serverless from like literally the early days of Lambda, we could say. Um, and yeah, Slobodan and I co together also, uh, and along with the fourth serverless hero. So yeah, it's a bunch of heroes. Uh, Goika, we also were working and uh, we're, we're the core team core team behind the Cloud.js, one of the serverless, uh, one of the first serverless deployment tools. And yeah, nowadays doing a lot of stuff with serverless, helping companies and so forth. And as Slavana mentioned, we are big, and Janus, of course, mentioned we are big disciples of Simon Worley and his concept of Worley map and uh, finance and uh, FinDev or finance and development. So for the listeners who are new to this idea of, well, who are new to Simon Wadley, can you maybe put in a few words uh, and explain what is uh, Wadley mapping and you know, why is it so powerful? Yeah, um, maybe I can initially do the, you know, small definition. So basically, um, a Wadley map, you could say it's like, I can even change the definition, it's like formal kind of definition, uh, is, uh, it's an anchor-driven a uh, visual representation of the business landscape, uh, basically the context of a company or a market. Um, it's basically represented in a series or a one big large value chain, um, basically a value chain of needs uh, with you know each component actually needing another component and so forth and so forth. Um, what, what, what it basically is, uh, it actually helps companies anticipate changes 
shifts, uh, trends, and also analyze which parts of their businesses uh, can they outsource, build, and why should they build on outsource or and uh, why this way or why or not the other way. So basically, it's um, it's like a real visual map of uh, of various components in your business, even your competitors' components. How are you using them? Why are you using them? And uh, the implications of of, of that. And it's it, it's not really like a real crystal ball, but it can help you anticipate some things that might that might come uh, in the near future. I think uh, all three of us found it a thing that helped us understand some parts of this uh, gut-driven uh, businesses and business decisions that were made. And yeah, we were all attracted by it. And one thing that uh, Simon Wadley has uh, spoken about quite extensively, especially to the service community, is this idea of financial-driven development and how, or FinDev, and how finance can and development can now become... I guess like a cooperative unit like you have with uh, DevOps. Uh, and I know, Slobodan, you've been actually actively applying this at Vacation Tracker. Can you give us some examples of how it's applied in practice and uh, how has it helped you guys direct and prioritize work at Vacation Tracker? So, yeah, uh, as you said, Simon is uh, often talking about serverless as an example uh, of like... Uh, one thinks where uh, we can apply this FinDev thing. Uh, and we also saw some other uh, great articles in the past few years about that. Uh, for example, uh, Goiko, uh, the, the serverless hero that uh, Alexander mentioned and our friend uh, that Alexander mentioned previously uh, wrote an uh, excellent blog post about like uh, how serverless is changing economy. Uh, of how you build your applications because you do not have any uh, more. Uh, your application is uh, no more like uh, so you don't uh, do not need to plan uh, cost of your infrastructure upfront. Uh, you basically pay uh, as you go. Uh, you only pay for your application if anyone is using it, uh, and if no one is using your application, uh, your costs are much lower. So uh, we're trying to apply that to vacation uh, to vacation tracker. So first with worldly maps, uh, we can finally like put that into some visual map and understand what are uh, what are needs of our customers. And then we can decide using worldly map what should we build and what should we outsource. Of course, there are some obvious things like user system and things like that, because if you're building like another user system, there's no point of doing that because there are so many of them like uh, that you can simply use. And of course, there is like a serverless user system, which is Cognito. It, uh, you, you're charged by number of users that you have and uh, you don't need to pay upfront anything and things like that. But also there are some less uh, visible things such as like uh, you want to send emails from your uh, application. You can use things like uh, MailChimp, but that's that's not really uh, uh, outsourced fully because you still need to have developers that will implement some logic uh, when you will send these emails, which templates will you use and things like that. And you can also use some other tools like uh, such as Customer IO, which is a tool that... Uh, I learned from Joe Emison, uh, where you can simply send some events, which you're already doing from your application, uh, to customer IO through segment. And then uh, our marketing person can directly use uh, customer IO to decide which emails uh, uh, we need to send, which templates we need to use, and when do we need to uh, use the, these templates and things like that. And also, it goes much deeper. 
so for example uh now i can even like calculate how uh how expensive is some bug uh for us uh not all bugs of course some bugs are like uh, customer facing bugs that you need to fix uh immediately as fast as you can but some other bugs are like uh things that you have in the background that maybe takes uh more time to do some background tasks and many other things uh, so once we uh we fix some bug uh, and we spend like two weeks uh, working that issue. And then after that, I sit down to calculate how uh, how expensive is that issue for us. Uh, if, uh, actually, how expensive it was for us. And uh, it turned out that uh, it was like $2.37 per week. So it was much smarter to leave that issue uh, there and focus on some other things because it would be like, ten dollars a month or something like that and even with like much larger uh, volume of users and things like that that issue wouldn't be that huge so it makes sense to sit down calculate some things before you do them and you can apply that fin that thing uh in your application by just like getting real information before you like do some refactoring do some fixing of the issues or implement something uh now uh it's not just like a gut feeling now you have numbers and uh these numbers can easily be calculated and presented to your other team members and uh you can uh you can have like uh fin dev uh uh influencing your business decisions which it should be like that because uh the goal of every business is to make money in some way so you want to spend more time on building new features and less time to build some uh, to fix some things or do things that you don't need to do. And if you can calculate which feature is better for you, which feature will save you more money or bring you more customers, you can focus on that. Yeah, that is uh, that is what you mentioned there in terms of working out the cost of a bug and how much effort to well, how much is it worth fixing it or leaving it. I remember talking to some people about. Um, this thing where they were trying to they were, they were organizing a massive meeting of like, I think eight people eight developers uh, to talk about how they're going to optimize a lambda function to save themselves about 10 bucks a month and when you look at the cost for that meeting alone you know eight developers you know if you're being conservative and and i guess the estimate about 50 dollars per head for that one hour meeting now you're talking at 400 dollars just for having the meeting before you do any work and the payback time for the work is you no know, it's gonna take them 14 months just to pay back for that one meeting alone. So when you talk about premature optimization, now you can put a real real dollar sign in front of that to see, okay, well, before we even you know, think about optimizing, is this thing even worth optimizing before we make that make those decisions, like you said, based on gut feeling. And um and uh, funny you mentioned about Joe Emerson as well. We did an episode with him earlier in this podcast, uh, which you can go back to uh, realworldservers.com to check it out. And we did talk a lot about the whole build versus buy decision as well. Uh, and I guess you know this whole idea of FinDev also comes into that is you know how to, how much are you able, are you are you likely to gain from this feature and how much is going to differentiate your business from your competitors and by looking at the value chain where it sits in the world they're mapping uh, to help you decide uh, you know, which part of your business you should be outsourcing and and paying for a service as opposed to building and buy and, uh, and building something yourself I also want to come back to this whole idea of FinDev as well. Another thing that the Simon talks about is uh, potentially you can also use FinDev as um, 
the fact that you get pay as a pay as you go from AWS as a business competitive advantage. Because if you look at many of the services available out there now, many of them are really really expensive, and you have to pay something like you know a couple hundred dollars a year or a month just for one license. I've seen. You no know, softwares in the sort of real estate agency world where you had to pay four thousand dollars a year per license. If you're saying the fact that you get pay as you go from AWS and you can build a business model where you only charge your customers based on usage, and you can put a premium on what AWS is charging you for the use of APIs, databases, and things like that, is that something that you guys have explored with Vacation Tracker to potentially? Build a pricing model that really differentiates yourself from your competitors. That's a great idea. We thought about that,、uh, and that's something that I want to try in the future for sure. But、uh, first, you need to have a large volume of users to be able to apply something like that. And also,、uh, at the moment, Vacation Tracker is quite cheap. So、uh, for team up to 50 users, you pay、uh, just $25 flat per month, which is really a small amount of money.、Uh, Comparing to some other services and things like that, but、uh, we definitely、uh, have support for、uh, that kind of pricing in future because our infrastructure is built that way. But it's not just to uh, uh, it's not enough to take just the cost of your AWS infrastructure and everything. You also need to account the、um, amount of time that your developers need to spend、uh, and other team that is working on your product, but also some other services that are often much more expensive that.、Uh, Than your infrastructure, like marketing tools and some other tools. For example, I think、uh, even Slack is costing us much more than our、uh, infrastructure at the moment. And there are some other tools like like Segment and many other tools that we are paying each month. And most of them do not charge you per usage. So you need to to have these like、uh, capital expenses and also some operational expenses. And then you can calculate the, the cost that you need to charge your customers per let's say、uh, lead. Uh, requested through the platform or something like that. Yeah, funny he mentions the segment there. Segment is kind of expensive, and、uh, I'm actually working with a client of mine. Uh, well, I've joined. I joined them as an advisor uh, now uh, called Furners, and we are looking at building a basically a data shipping、uh, platform that is similar to Segment, but it's built with serverless. And、uh, we are also looking. You know, we are actively looking at this pricing model of、uh, you know usage based. And of course, like you said, you have to factor into the fact that、uh, you have developer expenses, you have other sort of fixed expenses for things like Slack and other tools, which of course、uh, is something that we take into account when we work out what. Is the premium that we should be charging on those、uh, requests that we are charging our customers? And of course, like I said, you need to have some volume of business before that becomes something that is economically feasible for you to actually go and build it yourself. Otherwise,、uh, you're going to be charging every single one, every single customers just three dollars a month, and you're going to go, you know, out of business pretty quickly. <laughs> um, <laughs> and.、Uh, Alex, we've also talked about you know, this、uh, idea of、uh, FinDev and the mapping quite extensively in the past. I remember you know, sitting there in the in the bar with you. I, fo- I forgot which conference it was, and we spent you know, quite a few hours just talking about this. And I know you also been looking and working with other companies around these ideas.、Um, is there any any stories that you can share from these other companies who are also applying these ideas、uh, without naming any names? Uh, yeah. Um, well. Actually, to come back also to your previous conversation with Slobodan, so、um, all of these decisions, were like, how would you price your product, or what, which piece of product are you going to build 
which way and are you going to build it or are you going to maybe take some third-party solution like in the talk with from uh, that you had with Jameson and I mean the, all these decision the decisions actually require uh, quite some uh, mapping I would say um, the reason why I say is mapping and what does this mapping mean it means basically you're analyzing whether you know certain components actually make sense that you build them yourself or certain components don't make sense that and you're just going to outsource like um, like I don't know, maybe twenty twenty years ago, like you know, building a website, like everybody was like, you know, I'm gonna build my own website, whatever. But now we have I I don't know tools like Webflow where you can very easily like create a website like you like visually or something. And are you gonna hire someone and pay I don't know a couple of thousand uh, just for some or a couple of hundred just for somebody to make a website, or are you gonna do it yourself like in maybe an hour or two hours and you have a complete website now where you pay I don't know twenty bucks per month. But all, as, as, as I said, like every decision that we make is, um, I mean, must be carefully analyzed. And this is why these, these worldly maps are super useful because they help you see when and why should you charge a product um, per, like per, uh, per usage or uh, as a monthly fee. And uh, the reason why, for, as you mentioned, like AWS is using this kind of like model, which is like pay per use, is because all of these all of all of the components and the services they're providing have become a commodity. So they were, uh, I don't know, in, in the concept of worldly maps, you have these phases where a single product, when it's first idea, and then nobody else has made it and even thought about it. It's called the Genesis. Then you have the custom built, and then you have the product, and then you have the uh, commodity. Basically, a, a, something which is like super famous to everyone. Everybody knows how to use it, and so forth. And um, AWS, as you can see, as, as everyone can see, like a particular with serverless, has very specifically focused on the commodity phase, where they're providing services on this paper usage fee, and that's the characteristics of it. And for example, the reason why, for example, I, I I'm guessing why Slobodan, but you know, uh, and other other companies are not are not taking part of this model is because the products or and the tools they're building then maybe they're maybe not yet a commodity or they're reaching the commodity phase and you know if you for example charge a pay-per-use model a pay-per-use fee a usage fee um, basically before that product comes into this commodity phase you, uh, the customers that are currently using it uh, aren't, aren't going to switch. They're going to say, well, I don't know how much this is going to cost. I like it when it's a fixed fee and I, don't know how, and I know how much of the money I'm going to pay by, by the end of each month and I can estimate my costs. And while, while with pay-per-use, you're kind of not so sure, right? So, uh, I mean, yeah, as I said, like, I mean, as you mentioned, like I'm working... Um, with various, occasionally with various companies, helping them out with uh, their serverless and mapping uh, knowledge and practices and so forth. And um, yeah, uh, one of the cases which I worked for, which is which might be interesting to, is to people, is like uh, we had a we had a plan about us for a service for some accounting basically. And this accounting service uh, was something which is generally used by the by the finance and accounting departments throughout the world. I'm, I'm not going to mention the names and so forth. Um, so uh, the thing was integrating this thing into uh, basically a single data warehouse system. And um, you know it, the thing they estimated was like you know we, we could we could do it like in several ways. One of which was getting the license, and as you mentioned, Jan, like this license is super expensive, and I can tell you that the license that the license for this simple piece of software was in a range of several uh, uh, several dozen thousand dollars per year, which is ridiculous. And uh, 
the reason why is because they actually have a have they have this super nice integration with you, with uh, any kind of data warehouse solution you might be using. And this company was using a very specific one. So basically, you know, in order for to do that, I mean, they, they would have to pay each year a couple of couple of dozen thousand dollars just because you know they would be able to send daily reports and so forth to, into this data, data warehouse. And another option was build build it yourself and. Uh, that would probably the current the, the estimation was I don't know several months, and uh, you know calculate the developer time, calculate everything. You would come to a point where maybe the first year would be several dozen thousand dollars, but um, during the later years you wouldn't pay that much. You would only pay for the maintenance and the time the developer spent. And uh, basically, uh, I mean uh, I was working. In the in, in the planning team, I would say at the, at the time, and uh, the, I, I I actually said about the third option is, why don't you use serverless? Why don't you try using serverless, particularly because some of the solutions that we're using were on AWS, and we actually mapped out a, a small worldly map of like the cost and how much would it cost and so forth, and uh, based on the components we were using, which was mostly S3, you know, and um, Lambda and uh, Kinesis and so forth. We came to a cost of $0.09 per gigabyte. And, you know, while we were doing that, we came to a point where, you know, I just basically asked the question, like, how big is the data we're loading? And they said, like, well, it's daily a couple of megabytes. And I was like, seriously? Nobody asked this question before, you know, before actually <laughs> deciding to go to 40K, <laughs> thousand, like, you know, or several dozen uh, thousand dollars. Nobody asked that question, right? They were like, you know, we need to do this, you know. This is what we need. Nobody was thinking about, like, what's the volume of the data, whatever, like, you know. And, when, and they, they came to a point, like, basically the company is now paying, as far as they know, around $10 per year for the cost. So, I mean, just by doing a simple map and doing analysis of the components and b because, you know, this FinDev, this whole, the whole story of this, you know, this, this set of finance and development practices around serverless and this capital flow management is based on capital flow management. And this capital flow basically means that, you know, in this worldly map, you can calculate how much does a single flow in a single um, uh, feature set of your company cost you know, and how much value does it bring? And then based on that, you can say, well, you know, this is, um, you know, if we, for example, move these components to be commodity or to be a product or evolve them even more, it will cost us a lot less and we, you know, our software is be more resilient and so forth. And yeah, so we just did a little map, did a little bit of FinDev, which is like analyzing the capital flow of the of, of our map. We came to a point of 0 0.09 the dollars on basically nine cents per gigabyte. And yeah, I mean, uh, imagine, I mean, uh, we even, uh, so the development cost, just to clarify, if somebody's asking themselves that, that question in their head, is was um, around uh, two or $3,000 because it basically took the team a week to develop the solution using serverless, which was like amazing. And um, because the, the, per the previous estimate was like three months. What we're trying to say, I guess, is, you know, if you do a little bit of mapping and, and applying FinDev and, you know, first learning about worldly maps and FinDev and seeing how you can apply these methodologies onto your system and to, into your daily, daily work, you, can, you, will, you will quickly see results of this kind of approach. There are other also cases where companies were able to calculate that, for example, a single feature would, uh, you know, is bringing, I don't know, $40,000 per year from you know from based on, by tracking on the usage of the of the 
of the feature, but the cost was $100. So they were like, you know, any kind of bug we fix, we fix here is going to be, as Sloboda mentioned, super tiny, you know. So actually, they just focus on, opt uh, like, you know, creating a better experience and focusing on other things. And yeah, this is why, you know, doing, doing mapping and FinDev is something we talked about a lot and uh, we would highly recommend. I would just add uh, that uh, if you want to uh, have like decisions based on like FinDev and things like that, you need to have enough data to, to be able to calculate all, all these things. Serverless is, of course, one piece of everything uh, of that puzzle, but you also need to know some business parts uh, of the, the application you're working on. And that's relatively easy when you're working in a startup, uh, but you're, when you're working in a, uh, on some enterprise uh, application, it's a bit harder to to understand all the parts of the the problem and things like that and uh, the, the the hardest problem all the time is like understanding what the problem is exactly what alexander said uh, it's like it's really important to understand like uh what problem are we solving how big is the problem how uh, how much megabytes will we have per week and things like that and most of the people don't ask that they, they just do the the task that they have in jira or anywhere and that's it yeah, certainly I feel that uh, having sort of having read about and understood about mapping, it certainly has transformed the way I think about not just what I do, but in terms you know, in terms of why I do it. And certainly when I you know, apply that to companies I used to work for, it gives you a, a, a very different perspective as to you know, priorities. Do they line up with the business objectives and the, do they line up with um, the return on investment? Because like you said, everything we do has got some kind of dollar price attached to it, be it our time. And I think as, as engineers, we are really bad at thinking about ourselves as a cost because again, our time is it's, no, it's ultimately money. And it's uh, something that we, you know, time that we could have spent building something else. And, uh, and definitely I find that uh, you know, applying mapping and uh, understanding the sort of chain reaction of the different components and how value, where value can be added and uh, where my skill sets are best applied to create the most amount of value for the, cust for the customer and for the business has been a really transformative experience uh, for me personally, at least. And Alexander, and Alexander the, the thing you mentioned about uh, a variable fee versus a fixed fee is something that we also spoke at length at uh, Furnace as well, because uh, something that we also noticed, at least from my personal experience, is that enterprises, they don't care if the fee is big, but they care about the fee being predictable so that they can do their budgeting in April every year and know roughly you know, what is their out, what's their outgoing expenditure in terms of services and things like that. Whereas for a lot of smaller you know, companies, startups, uh, they just want the cheapest option available that their cost can grow linearly with their traffic, with their success, so that uh, hopefully their expenditure will also grow in tandem with their revenue stream as well. So I think, uh, you know, with, with Furnace, certainly we also apply, you know, we also have uh, um, enterprise level pricing, which is a fixed fee, which is based on some, I guess, a projected amount of uh, usage you're gonna, ha you know, you're gonna have. So, uh, so yeah, that's uh, that, those are some really great points there. And uh, so I guess uh, with uh, Slobo, Dan, I also want to talk about something that you have spoken quite a few times in the past in terms of uh, how well. Because one, one other thing that comes up all the time, I'm sure you guys get the same questions as me, is uh, people asking about what about vendor locking? And I know Slobodan, you've talked about uh, in the past the uh, different talks in terms of how can you how you can use uh, hexagonal architectures to sort of help mitigate 
some of the sort of concerns around the vendor lock-in. Do you have some examples that you can share with, with us in terms of how that looks in practice? And uh, if uh, you know, has, has some of those additional efforts, have they paid them off in terms of you, know, you having a decision to make to switch to a different service? And that helps you minimize the amount of work you have to do at that moment in time. Yeah, sure. So uh, about vendor lock-in. Uh, What's vendor lock-in? Of course, everyone talks about like cloud vendor lock-in, and I still need to hear one a really good story about why someone migrated from, for example, AWS to Google or I don't know Google to Microsoft or whatever. Most of the time, it was like mistakes of like us as people, not really uh, uh, because platform raised their prices and things like that, and. Uh, Mark Schwartz from AWS explains that really well. Uh, he's, uh, he says that uh, that's not really cloud. Uh, that's not really a vendor lock-in. That's a switching cost, and you have switching costs whenever you have some decision. For that's part one of my conversation with Alexander and the Slopeland. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation about the FinDev and the Wildly Mapping. To access the show notes and the transcript for this episode, please go to realworldserverless.com and come back next week to check out the second part of our conversation. If you have enjoyed this episode, please follow us on Twitter and to subscribe to never miss an episode. I'll see you next week.